Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, buddy? Positively fantastic, Gary. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful. So, what are we going to discuss on today's episode? So, this is the longer episode of the podcast where we're going to discuss a kind of big picture topic. Um, although this week it is somewhat of a specific question in that. It's, this, this was actually a question. I should just put it out there. But it is actually a meta topic that we would discuss on this Monday episode. Yeah. So although we got a question, we're kind of going to touch on a lot of things related to it because it's an important question. So the question very simply is, should I be sore after workouts? You know? And then we're going to basically touch on everything around that. So, Paddy, should I be sore at my workouts? It's a, again, like this, this was a question. And it's actually, it's actually something that is discussed and assumed by individuals throughout their training career. Right? And what I mean by that is, you know, if you start training, you're like, okay, you know, I know I got a good workout because my muscles were sore here and I felt it. And you're like, that's, that's how I know. But then as you progress through your training career, maybe you don't experience the same kind of soreness, the same kind of like delayed onset muscle soreness the next few days after your workout. And that can kind of leave you thinking, oh, maybe I'm not working as hard as I used to work, or maybe I could be doing more, you know? And, and then you might, you know, have a layoff from training, life gets in the way, injury, whatever. And then you go back to training and all of a sudden you're absolutely wrecked sore again, you know, and you're like, okay, so is this how I should be feeling the whole time? You know? And then obviously you have individuals that then say that you should be chasing that soreness. Like you should, that's, that's your marker of a good workout. So you need to change up your exercises all the time. You need to change up your intensity, your rep ranges, your volume, all that kind of stuff so that you elicit that soreness after the workout, you know? So it, this is a concept that people have based their training philosophies on, but it may not actually be a good concept to have based your training philosophies on, right? So to very simply answer the question, even though this podcast is probably going to be an hour or more, you know, long, to very simply answer the question, you know, should I be sore after a workout? No, right? So that obviously has a lot of caveats and discussion points around it. But in my mind, if you are sore after all of your workouts, and obviously we should probably define like soreness here now like we're talking about like we call it muscular soreness you know delayed onset muscle soreness is what it's typically referred to you know doms and um, <clears throat> we're not talking about your joints are aching here or you know you feel like your your ligaments tendons that kind of stuff is sore after your workout like i don't think many people would say that you know your shoulder socket should feel sore after you know, your chest workout. Like, I don't think anyone's prioritizing that. So when we're saying sore, we're talking about, you know, muscular soreness in that, you know, you've done a workout, you feel those muscles that were worked are, you know, we'll call it fatigued, they're sore, there's been some sort of muscular damage occur because of your your, your training. And um, so, again, to put it, put it quite simply, no, you shouldn't be sore after your workout. However, that doesn't mean that being sore after your workout is necessarily a bad thing 
especially if there's certain things that have occurred, which again, we'll touch on throughout the podcast, or you are a certain population in, in terms of, you know, where you are in your training career, your life, etc. Like if you're an individual that is just starting out, like soreness is probably going to occur after your training. And like I touched on before, if you're coming back from a, a long layoff from training, you probably will be sore after your workout, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the, the simple answer to it. No, you, you shouldn't be sore for the vast majority of people. If you're being sore or if you are sore after your workouts, like muscularly sore after your workouts, we're probably in a wrong position with training or recovery or something, you know? And again, I probably should be even more clear on my definition of soreness because like you should probably still feel something in terms of if you're training, if you train the next day, you should probably feel something in those muscles that you've worked. You know, I'm not saying you should be like absolutely, absolutely obliterated the next day, but you should at least feel like those muscles that you've worked have worked, you know, like you would kind of know that you worked the day before, not necessarily like it shouldn't really impede your life. But if you feel absolutely nothing the next day after your workout, then perhaps you're training under the capacity that you could train, which again, that might be your goal at the moment. You might be like, okay, I have other things going on. You know, like say we both do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, you might be like, I'm actually going to train far and below what I know I possibly could handle in a training session purely because I'm actually prioritizing something else. You know, and the training is kind of just a a supplement to that, you know, and that, that also brings up a good point. Like if you are training for something else and your training is so fatiguing, so pain, sore inducing the next day that you can't do the thing that you're training for, you know, like you do uh, a brutal leg workout and you are a GAA athlete and you come out of that fucking leg workout and the next day you're hobbling along and you look like You've been riding a horse for the last fucking six weeks nonstop. You know, you can hardly even stand up straight. Like that's obviously not conducive to you being or you getting better at your actual sport, you know? So obviously you have to take that into account. Anyway, Gary, I'm rambling here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with your assessment in that like most of the time you probably don't want to be really sore after your workout. You know, if you're walking around the day after your workout, every workout, feeling crippled, whether that be, you know, difficulty washing your hair because your shoulders are so sore or you can't sit down in the chair because your legs are so sore. It's probably not something you want to be chasing all of the time. However, if I was someone listening to this podcast and I had this belief that, that that was my belief, I totally understand where you're coming from because the vast majority of not just trainees, but like a lot of personal trainers almost sell, they sell their expertise in being able to make people sore, you know, and you see it a lot with people who, um, let's say they take on a new client and then their client comes for their first workout. And then you'll see it up on their Instagram story, for example, being like, never been this sore in my life. Absolutely beat up. Oh my God. OMG. Such a good trainer. Didn't and, know I had these muscles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> didn't know I had these muscles and like there can be some, um, positive lessons taken from that. Like one example where it could be useful would be I've been training for five years. I always did the bench press and different types of pressing exercises. I never felt my chest working. My chest never got sore. 
And then this trainer gave me some tips and now I really feel like my chest is working and it was really sore the day after. That to me would be like, oh yeah, that's actually, that's actually quite a positive sign because clearly there's something that you learned that you took away from that that you can now use going forward. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your goal is to continue um, feeling pain all of the time after your workouts. So that is where it can be a positive thing, where it is where it's an indicator that you are maybe doing something correct. Okay, so if I was someone who had been training for a number of years and there were particular muscle groups that I never experienced soreness in, my next question would be, well, how has the development in those muscles been? And if you're like, oh, my quads have never been sore, but I've got big juicy quads and a triple body weight squat, <laughs> doesn't matter. You're you're doing absolutely fine. But if you're also if you're also saying to yourself, right, I've never experienced soreness in my quads. Um, they also never really feel like they're getting like super pumped or feeling fatigued during a workout, whereas other muscle groups are. And despite the fact that I've been gaining muscle in, say, my glutes, my adductors, my lower back, my quads haven't really grown that much, then I'd be putting those things together to say that, oh, in this case, the lack of muscle soreness after a workout comes together with the other things you've noticed to suggest that maybe there's something that could be, that could be done differently in your training, you know? Um, so despite the fact that we're saying you, you don't necessarily want to be sore after all your workouts, you should have at least experienced some soreness at some point in time, you know, and generally what the way that would present itself is at the start of a workout where you're doing new exercises, because one of the things that tends to lead to higher levels of muscle soreness is doing something that you are unaccustomed to. Okay. And obviously that's part of the training process, but initially early on in a training phase, when you're doing something new within about a week or two, you should notice the soreness dissipate. Okay. If the soreness is not reducing and it's persisting throughout the training program, then it may not just be the case that it's the, the novelty of the exercise. It may also be that the, the stimulus that you're trying to apply is just far beyond what you're, you're capable of tolerating at this point in time. So you should generally notice that, yeah, new exercises, bit of soreness should then dissipate. And that won't always be the case either in terms of the onset of soreness. For example, there's a big difference between the way that we often train the hamstrings and the way that we often train the deltoids, okay? So if you do lots of RDLs, that exercise is, like the mechanics of that exercise mean that the greatest challenge is in is when the muscle is in its lengthened position. That tends to be associated with a little bit more soreness than exercises that are more challenging in the shortened position. So if you do RDLs and you introduce them and you've never done them before, you're going to be pretty damn sore. Whereas if you do something like a dumbbell lateral raise, the challenge is greatest up in the top position when the muscles are beginning to shorten. Very little challenge in the bottom position as the muscles are in their lengthened range. And that's probably going to lead to a little bit less soreness. So if you're the type of person that you always train your shoulders, you wonder why they never get sore, it's probably because they're just being exposed to different types of loading than some of the other muscle groups um, that you're training. So there are some of the things to consider um, because soreness, it's, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship with one set of any exercise equals one unit of soreness. It does vary a bit. Yeah, I suppose what we should do to kind of bring this along in some sort of logical manner so that people can kind of go okay so now i understand when i should be sore you know why i'm sore etc like i suppose we should kind of not only define what we're talking about which hopefully i already did you know we're talking about delayed onset muscle soreness here you know we're talking about you know a little bit of soreness in the muscles after you've trained them and um, i think we should actually 
touch on and I don't expect this to be like a a complete thesis on this but I suppose the first thing we should touch on is like why do we get sore after a workout you know and you love your uh, your old exercise and your muscles Gary so could you answer that question like why do we actually get sore after a workout because then I want to go on to with like a few different examples in terms of we'll take a few case studies you know we'll, we'll go to a few different individuals uh, at different time points in their career different uh, stimulus applied or stimuli applied to them and um, as in like different exercises and then other considerations outside of that such as you know their their overall training volume their overall program setup their overall life you know stress that kind of stuff and um, so we'll get into all of that but I suppose the first thing we need to do is like why like why are individuals feeling this delayed onset muscle soreness because I think that opens up the conversation then after that to be like okay so I understand that that's why certain exercises such as you said they're like this kind of lengthened range one that's why they are you know causing more issue than say a shortened range challenge you know uh, so why are people sore after workout you know like what's what's causing this yeah so there's like one of the one of the things i remember hearing when i when i was first kind of starting training is that like delayed onset muscle soreness it's a buildup of lactic acid that needs to be gotten rid of you know and that that's the way it was initially explained that's not that's not the case like there there's a num there are a number of mechanisms that that contribute to it and that's kind of one of the popular ones that tends to circulate sometimes although i haven't seen it in a while but that's that's not the reason that 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 one would have delayed onset muscle soreness. Rather, like it's 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 kind of the result of multiple different things that you can put under the umbrella of muscle damage or muscle disruption. Like more accurately, I think is probably a good way of looking at it because you can look at it in terms of like muscle damage, where there's like there's disruption to the the cytoskeleton, so some of the the structural components of your muscle fibers. Um. And some of the connective tissue around that area. Um, there's also potentially some, some some changes in calcium homeostasis and things like that. Things related to the mitochondria that all kind of that all come together as physiological disruption within the muscle that then leads to the sensation or the, the sensory information being delivered through those through your nociceptors, which are essentially just um, sensory nerve fibers that let let your your nervous system know or pass on the information through the nervous system that right, there's some disruption going on here. Um, and then the, the magnitude of that disruption is somewhat correlated to the experience that you have then in the form of soreness, but not just soreness, also um, a lack of mobility potentially. Um, generally, you'll feel a bit uh, stiffer or tighter in the days after a workout. You may even be sensitive to touch. Um, so those, those are the types of things that are coming together to produce that experience. And some of those things are then reduced subsequently through the repeated bout effect is what it's referred to as so if you do one workout and the first time you do it you might be quite sore the second time you're surprisingly a lot less sore and there's multiple different mechanisms um put forth related to that um one of them being like potential neural factors that come together so it's not it's not just it's not just a case of you did the workout once and now you're an absolute animal and that's just not challenging at all it's still challenging but your body has essentially developed mechanisms to try to make you a bit more resistant to that physiological disruption next time around. Um, so that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about what I think, what I think is easiest to think of as muscle disruption. So disruption at the level of the muscle, your physiology is disrupted 
And that is essentially a, a, a damage signal, so to speak, that your body then um, or you are, are pr producing or converting into the experience that you have, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I think putting into like context overall in, in terms of, I will say a different context even, you know, where if you think of it like you, you do workout once, you know, it's your first time doing this workout, maybe you're a beginner, maybe you are an advanced lifter, but either way, you're doing a, a novel stimulus, you know, and effectively it, it's probably more pronounced in, you know, individuals who haven't trained before, but effectively you have challenged this muscle, these muscles, whatever, you know, and you have created some sort of disruption slash damage, you know, because again, like that, the damage thing, especially makes a lot of sense, especially when you talk about, you know, certain elements of the, the causative factors for this, you know, we'll call like, say that, like you were saying, and wrong with the RDLs, you know, if you're in this really lengthened range position and you're, you're under load in that position, there's a potential for more muscle damage to occur, you know, and you see more like a, uh, components of those muscle fibers in you know like the blood or whatever uh, as a result um so in my mind i always think of it like you you basically have a recovery pool you have a, or even a, a training pool you have the ability of this fucking amount of workers this amount of people in this environment right and you have effectively challenged a cohort of them you know, now if you have never trained before, these are just new workers. They're just figuring out what to do. Like they have a blueprint, they have your, your genes or whatever. So they have a blueprint of what to do, but they've never actually done it. Right. So you challenge them, you go, right. We need all you workers to do this, you know, and this being a certain exercise, a certain workout, whatever. Right. So they're all challenged, but after the workout now, they're like, oh man, I'm actually exhausted after that. I, you know, I've never done that before. I, I had no real idea what I was doing. You were pulling this way and I was pushing this way and we were going in the wrong, like there was no coordination here, right? And they're like, okay, we need a rest. We need to fucking hang back here for a second, figure shit out. Like, yeah, we have the blueprints. We have the ability to move. We have all that stuff, but there was no coordination. We need a fucking rest here so we can regroup and go about this in a more effective manner, right? So they do that. Now, again, this, if you were to then train that exact same muscle the, the next day when you're already sore, like you get that kind of uh, inhibition where you're like, oh man, I feel so weak now. You know, yesterday I was squatting a hundred kilos for, for 12 reps. And like today I'm barely able to do the bar. My, my legs are like quivering. They're, you know, buckling all over the place. They're, they're, it's terrible, you know? So as a beginner anyway, as, a, as a, a new lifter, a novice person to this stimulus, right? And that's because, again, just to dissociate it or put it into a different context, you know, this is because all those workers are now like, man, look, you said you were going to give us a rest here so that we could regroup and do things more effectively. But now we're tired and we still haven't regrouped. We don't know how to do this more effectively. So now all you have is tired workers that don't know how to work effectively. They've never had that ability to regroup, right? So that's why you get that down regulation or, you know, reduction in performance if you were to do that exact same workout the next day, you know? And again, this could be a novel stimulus. You could be a fucking carpenter, a builder, a blacksmith, I don't know, whatever the fuck, you know? And you do, you go to work, you've never been this 
individual, this this tradie, you know, before, and you go to work the next day after your first day, and you're like, man, I'm fucking crippled here. My lower back, my fucking forearms, my shoulders, whatever it is that's challenged. And you know, on day one, you were able to put in a good eight hour shift of good hard work, and then the next day, you're like, and I literally, I'd say I did about twenty percent of the work I did the first day, you know. Uh, and this again because you're you're you you've got that soreness because your your muscles your fucking neurons all that kind of stuff is like okay we need to regroup we need to fucking figure a shit out right so they're they're putting pl- putting plans in place to be more effective the next time right and again if you give them that recovery time you give them that rest whatever the next time they come to it like you were saying with that repeated bout effect they're like okay like actually yeah we did it the first time we didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing but you've given us given us enough time enough food nutrients all that stuff because obviously that plays into it you know you haven't taxed us so hard again in between that time period that recovery time period which you know again depending on who you ask it's 24 to 70 fucking six or 72 however many hours uh afterwards um so you say, we'll say three days afterwards, you tax them again and you're like, okay, so we've had enough time to recuperate, figure shit out. And, you know, your performance can slowly start to increase then, you know, because you're like, okay, we actually know what to do while we're working out, but we also know what to do to recover from that workout, you know? So that, that's the way I kind of think of it. It's like, you have a pool of workers, you basically challenge them. They've never done this before. They're uncoordinated and, you need to effectively teach them how to work, you know, work out. And you also need to teach them how to recover. You know, it's just a, a learning experience, you know? Um, so that's how I kind of visualize it. Now there is obviously certain considerations within that, which we'll use as a, a launching point, but do you have any, anything to add to that kind of uh, context shift? No, I like it. I like it. I like the analogy, but I think, um, yeah, I think I think it's pretty it's pretty easy to understand if you just think think of the concept like think of what the actual goal if we were, if we were to personify your muscle like what is the goal of your muscle when it comes to like you've done a really hard training session like what does it actually want to do like if you if you think about the fact that you've got all these different proteins that are interacting within your muscle to try and produce that force when you're exercising it's getting all this energy in it's using all its its mitochondria it's pushing calcium into the muscle all this different sort of stuff you, if you're doing that over the course of a whole workout, you're doing lots and lots of new stuff, like that's a, a pretty damn challenging thing to do. And your goal after that is to basically return back to baseline to say that, you know, any of these proteins that were damaged, let's try and replace them. Let's get them out of the, ce- let's get them out of the cells. Let's try to build up new ones. And that's obviously going to take time. And if you're going to come back and if you're going to come back and try to hammer that muscle again the next day, then clearly there's going to be mechanisms in place whereby that muscle is going to say, I actually don't want you to go anywhere near that 140 kilo squat you did yesterday. So today, 100 kilo squat, we can handle that, but we can't handle anymore. So like you said, you're taking that time to, to recuperate. And, and one of the, the mechanisms that is allowing for that is the fact that when you go to do it, you feel stiffer, you feel tighter, you've got some more pain, you're being discouraged from doing that. So although it's, it's not exactly accurate, your, your muscle is essentially a person that's trying to protect itself. And one of the, the ways that it's doing it is through this experience of, of muscle soreness. Yeah, this is actually something that I think about quite often. And because your experience with all of this stuff obviously changes throughout your training career or whatever you want to call it. Because the experience of a, a newbie lifter, you know, someone who's never done this before, like if we can talk about that workforce, 
everything's just uncoordinated. But if you are a an elite lifter or you know an advanced lifter or whatever you want to call it, you've been training for like 10 years, like your experience, even after a layoff or sickness or illness or novel stimuli, whatever, is still completely different. Like you're basically a different animal entirely, you know? Like that newbie lifter, they might get a huge decrease in performance as a result of, you know, training with novel stimuli, fucking whatever else, you know? Like they might notice the next day that they're at 10% of their strength ability. You know, they're stiff. They, their muscles basically feel like they can't even activate, like they can't even lift their arm up over, over their head, you know, uh, whatever the fuck, you know? Um, whereas that elite or advanced lifter or whatever you want to call them, like even if they had a layoff and they came back and they're like, yeah, I feel sore. Like the next day after that, they probably could do quite close to what they did the day before. You know, and what I mean by that is like, say they did, like you said, a 140 squat the next day they come into that they could probably do a 140 squat like it may not be the exact same movement pattern in terms of they might get some sort of like hip shifting back or something to try you know their body's trying to take some of the tension off those muscles you know or maybe they do notice some sort of decrement and it's like okay i can only do 130 but it's a much lower you know, inhibition than that, that newbie lifter got because they've also, they, they, they have a trained workforce. The workforce knows what to do. They just haven't done it in a while, you know? So that I, I kind of think about that a lot about the whole, you know, when you start your, your training stuff, you are at a certain position. And when you are partway through, like advanced into your training career, whatever you want to call it, like you basically are a different animal than you used to be, you know, which is, which is quite interesting. And um, now to use this as a launching point, right? So we, we said it a few times and we didn't really quantify it or qualify it. And we've also then also discussed the, the outcome of it. And what I mean by that is uh, we, we stated that, you know, this kind of stretched position, this lengthened range position, that may be more damaging and thus DOMS inducing than other positions. Now that's not necessarily the case all the time and what i mean by that is like that's not to say that you can't do something that challenges you in the mid-range and not get fucking awful doms as a result you know so it's not like oh that the more lengthened the position you get in the the more doms you're going to get that's not necessarily the case but because you are in that lengthened range the likelihood of experiencing delayed onset muscle soreness goes up and we kind of touched on that so i'm going to get you to explain that but then also i want people to realize that that's also potentially the reason why you know doing something that then gets your muscle into a stretched position afterwards you know when you have doms is something that your body is trying to prevent and that's why you feel a lot stiffer so in that example like say you do a chest workout you know, and you get into a really lengthened position. Maybe you're not even in a hugely lengthened position. Maybe you just do something like a bench press, which, you know, arguably gets you into a somewhat lengthened position in that bottom position. And um, maybe not as much as say like a, 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 a fly or a fly over where you're really coming back, you know, you're in a really lengthened position, you know? And um, so you, you, you can still feel that doms the next day, but maybe then you're not able to put your arm overhead because you're kind of getting your pec into a, a lengthened position as a result, right? So again, you think about it, if, if the workout is inducing some sort of doms, 
because, and we're saying, we haven't explained it, that this Lenten position is potentially more DOMS inducing. Like your body is obviously going to go, I don't want to get anywhere near this end range, this lengthened range position, because that's where a lot of the damage was occurring. And right, and we, we touched on it there with like, you know, uh, muscle damage occurring. You know, if you do have muscle damage occurring, like the length and range position is a position that's definitely going to be one of the most challenging positions or most likely positions for that to occur. Because again, you think of like actin and myosin, it's just, it basically just like closes, opens. If you can, if you're watching, it's basically my fingers coming together and lengthening. But if you're in that lengthened position, there's very little that is in contact or just the bare minimum that's in contact. And now obviously there's a lot more to it, like tighten and stuff like that, you know, which is basically like a, a bungee cord and stuff. Like you might be seeing that breaking effectively being damaged. Uh, but talk to that a bit more, Gary, in terms of like, why is this lengthened range position? Cause I think people understand now that a novel stimuli, novel stimulus, uh, is going to cause delayed onset muscle soreness. That's kind of what we discussed. You know, again, we have an uncoordinated workforce. They don't know what the fuck to do. So they need more recovery time to plan ahead and also, you know, discuss what just happened. So novel stimuli, yeah, we understand that. If there's something new happens, uncoordinated, we need more recovery time. We need to discuss what happened. We need to plan for the future. They got that. But why are certain exercises, such as a length and range position exercise or a challenge of a length and range position, why is that more domsy? Yeah, so like when you think about when you're thinking about muscle, okay, you've got your strict like muscle proteins, like what you were talking about. You've got your actin, you've got your myosin, you've got like there's, there's actually so many things involved there. There's Titan, there's dystrophin, there's Desmond, there's Nebulin. There's all these different proteins inside there. And all of those proteins are working together to basically hold things together, make sure everything's strong, make sure we can produce force. And anytime any of those proteins are missing, we've got severe problems. You know, one, one example of that would be in the case of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, this is basically like an inherited a genetic condition whereby you don't have the portion of the, the dystrophin gene required to produce that dystrophin protein. And that's absent. And that's just one protein of the muscle. But basically, like these, these individuals don't tend to live beyond their, their teens very often. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty debilitating condition. And like, that's fairly unrelated to this discussion, but it tells you that all of these proteins play an important role. And I think that's quite helpful then in trying to understand, right, why is it such a big deal if any of these proteins get a little bit damaged during exercise? Like, why, why, is, why is that a big deal? Um, because they're all really important. So if we think about muscle contraction, then basically what is happening, like, as you said, is you've got this kind of this myosin, which is your thick filament, which pulls on actin to bring it towards the center. And that creates muscle shortening. Okay. There's lots of other stuff involved, but we don't need to get too detailed for the moment. As you then lengthen, what you're doing is you're getting out, like you said, out to the end of that point where the, where the, the myosin heads are just about holding onto the actin. So you've got less potential for overlap between those proteins. Just, but, just on that, I actually thought of a better way to explain it. It's basically like Velcro. Like if you yeah. think of it like that and you literally pull that Velcro apart and the, the little hooks on the Velcro are just touching 
you know um that's that's kind of a better way to think of muscles rather than my fingers it's like velcro anyway yeah exactly it's a bit like that and so you've got you've got that you've got those proteins that are held on but also like as you get into the length and range like things get a bit different when you're being loaded under stretch as in like tight tighten and some of some of those other proteins related to tighten they also start to play a bit more, more of a role um, in terms of, of producing or absorbing force, you could say. And also like all of the con- connective tissue that's interwoven within the muscle. So you've got like your endomysium, your peromysium, and your epimysium, these different layers of connective tissue, like around fibers and around groups of fibers. Then all of that starts to become like stretched as well. So you've got all of this stretching going on within the muscle proteins themselves, within the connective tissue. And all of that then relates to all of the other proteins because what, what we realize is that like within muscle they're not just like these small individual like cells that don't relate to each other they all pull on each other so as you begin to lengthen the muscle everything is pulling on each other so like if you were to think about like uh you know doing i don't know what's that thing when you when you when you hold on to someone's hands and you spin around anyway but <laughs> i can't remember the name of it what mary 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 go wrong Ring, ring around a rosy. Is it ring around a ring, ring a rosy? That's about the plague, Gary. Don't be bringing that up. <laughs> okay, let's forget that awful analogy and stick with Velcro. <laughs> but yeah, basically what you're doing, you're stretching everything um, and, as, and you're also adding more load in that stretch position as well. So the key, that, that's, a, that's a key point here is that you're not just stretching everything within the muscle and kind of pulling it towards its, its breaking point, so to speak. Like it's not really going to break, but it's getting to the point where um, things are getting a little bit more tense in there, but you're also adding more load a lot of the time. That tends to be like, that's a really key, key point to get is that at the bottom of a squat, at the bottom of an RDL, or at the bottom of a bench press, all those exercises are placing their prime movers in more of a lengthened position, but you've also got an increase in challenge, like purely mechanically. So as you come down to the bottom of an RDL, the moment arm to the hip joint, the bar is further from that hip joint and you've got more of a challenge against the hip extensors. So it's not just that the stretch is going on, it's also that the load is increasing in that stretch position. So you're basically putting a hell of a lot of load on all the contractile proteins, on all the connective tissue, and all the structures within your muscle, um, and that can then come together um, to increase the amount of muscle damage that we experience. Like there's, there's, there's probably more considerations there in terms of the metabolic stuff that's going on, but I think even understanding it conceptually on that mechanical level is, is a good starting point. That's good. So to put this into in more context then, so we've got, we just mentioned an RDL there. Like there's other exercises that, you know, you potentially don't realize they're getting you into a lengthened range. And then you may be deceived into thinking those exercises target a certain muscle more. And a classic example of this is like a lunge, right? Like people always say like, oh, a lunge works the, the glutes, right? Because those glutes are potentially getting into a, a very lengthened range when you're in that kind of bottom position, you know, you're, you're stretched over, especially if you're doing say a barbell lunge where that load is like kind of pushing you forward as you, as you step. So those glutes are getting very lengthened. <laughs> um, so people are like, oh, I really felt my glutes the next day after introducing, you know, lunges, right? And in my mind, I, w- I wouldn't really put a lunge as a, a prime glute builder, you know? Like, yeah, obviously it, it works those muscles, 
but people overemphasize the effect a, a lunge has on the glutes because they get into this lengthened range. Right? And I only bring that up because this whole concept, delayed onset muscle soreness, and the concept of this lengthened range challenge, challenging a muscle so much that you're more likely to get DOMS, deceives so many people into thinking a certain exercise is more effective for that muscle than it potentially is. You know, like I wouldn't think doing something like a, a lunge would be a better glute builder than doing something like, for example, a, a glute bridge or a, a hip thrust, you know, like one is more targeted on that muscle and you can progressively overload that muscle with more tension with that exercise. But because you get into a lengthened, lengthened range position, people kind of go, oh, that exercise is super effective. Man, my glutes were sore for fucking weeks after that, you know? So that's, that's something that I just wanted to add on to this, this overall conversation. And you do see this all the time with different exercises for different body parts. Like someone might do something that gets their, their triceps into, they're like kind of half overhead, like, or even overhead. And they're like, all my triceps were so fucking, you know, beat up after that exercise. And it's like, yeah, you just got into this really lengthened range. That doesn't mean that that's a better exercise for that muscle. And this is obviously not to say that getting into a lengthened range challenge is a bad thing or that you shouldn't do it at some stage in your workout or training program, but you shouldn't also base your training program over your doms or the or the doms ability of a certain exercise yeah and like and that that's important because we spent a, a great deal of time kind of touching on like oh here's some of the mechanisms as to how muscle damage might come about and how that then relates to your delayed on muscle soreness or delayed onset muscle soreness but then someone might end up asking like okay so i do i want that or do i not want that like what what's the story because i think like one of the, the common narratives that people often get told when um they're told how training works is that you break down all these proteins so that you can then repair them. Whereas that's like, that's not exactly how things work. Like the, the muscle damage and the, the breakdown of these proteins happens as what I would say is a byproduct of the training process. Whereas your, your, the goal of training is more so to send signals to, to create new muscle proteins or to create different adaptations within the muscle that aren't necessarily the result of the muscle damage itself. Um, so for example, the, the metabolic environment within a muscle, um, which might even be changed by the types of foods that you've been eating, depending on the training that you're doing, these can change the types of signals that are experienced within your muscle. Like similarly, when you're, when you're doing an exercise, your muscles are able to somewhat sense the tension that's being put on them. And then that again relates to the adaptation. So to say that it's just about breaking down proteins and rebuilding them is a bit simplistic and, and somewhat untrue. But that still doesn't answer the question, like, is that something you want, the, the, the muscle damage? Should we be chasing after it? Um, I would say, like, probably no, but at the same time, it's, it's happening as a normal part of the training process. That's one of the real difficult things about trying to tease out um, what exactly causes the adaptations that you want in muscle, because they all happen at the same time. So while you can say, oh, let's let's damage this isolated cell, you know, in a, peach, in a Petri dish to see if muscle damage is causal, is causal. It's still a really difficult question to answer. And for most people, I'm like, oh, you, you probably just don't need to worry about it. Um, 
muscle damage, it, it does not seem like you need to be really chasing it and chasing the soreness. So I would just go with, okay, let's not worry about it from a program design perspective and worry about other things instead. Um, and I was going to say something else, but I totally forgot. So there you go. <laughs> just, just on that, while you gather your thoughts, yeah, go ahead. inebriated nincompoop, um, if you were to think this logically true, like you were to perform some sort of thought experiment, like if you go, okay, muscle damage is obviously important. That's what we need to prioritize. You know, I want to feel absolute doms for days after a workout. Like <clears throat> if muscle damage was, we'll say the key driver of muscle hypertrophy, I could get a hammer and beat your muscles so that they're so damaged that under your model of like muscle building, those muscles would then grow bigger and stronger, which is not the case because if it was, man, I would be having that hammer on my fucking calves every day. And, um, but it's, it's just not, not the case, right? Like that doesn't occur. So muscle damage doesn't necessarily lead to muscle building. Right. But as you said, it, it's kind of hard to really tease out the, the effects here because, it, it tends to occur along with the other stuff that's happening, you know, like this always goes back to like that kind of lactate or well, lactic acid people call it, um, which is incorrect. And um, people are like, Oh, lactate accumulates in the cell. And that's why you feel that like, you know, pain. That's why you get that. Like, Oh, I have to stop exercising. And that's just sim simply not true. Um, you now lactate may be, uh, some sort of signaling hormone that's a potential reason you know that both uh, peripherally and centrally but lactate is a, a conjugate base right so it's actually buffering acidosis in the cell so if anything it's allowing you to work for longer it also then can then go into the liver etc or other cells around that and be used as a an energy source but that's a different story altogether and we're not going to get into like monocarboxylate transporters and shit and um, but uh people then see that lactate accumulates when you exercise especially when you're doing stuff that causes this kind of burn right so they're like huh, lactate goes up burn goes up all right it's lactate that's causing the burn right but that's just simply not the case you know it's the the buildup of hydrogens, you're effectively getting like three hydrogens, I think it is, uh, in that uh, glycolysis pathway being put into the cell, whereas lactate takes one of them out. So you have a net two hydrogens still pushed out into the cell. Um, so th the whole process, it's really hard to decipher what's actually going on because these things all happen together, like Gary was saying. So... You can't really go, oh, this is the exact reason or this is the exact thing, especially as you are just new to this, this theory, this, this whole idea, this whole like science, you know? Um, but yeah, muscle damage, that's not something that I would necessarily be chasing. But as I said, it's not necessarily something that I would be avoiding either. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't do those exercises because, you know, they get my muscle into a lengthened range. So I feel a little bit more sore the next few days. So I just don't do them. You know, that wouldn't be my overall thought process. That might be my overall thought process given a particular population or individual. Like again, like we said earlier on, if you're a sporting individual and you're practicing your sport and you're like, look, I don't know, whatever exercise just leaves me fucking beat up 
sore for days. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to do that exercise then because it takes away from your sport, right? Do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so let's make this applicable to a few people because there's also some other things that we need to discuss, but they're more that you need to kind of see them in practice, right? So let's take a few different individuals and talk them through a, a training life cycle, right? So you have the beginner individual, right? They're coming to you. They want to train. You give them a program. They signed up for online coaching or they signed up for group coaching or they got one of our eBooks, one of those, right? And they're, they're, they're training away. And they notice after the first training session, they're, they're sore. They're like, oh, my muscles feel sore. I have what you call delayed onset muscle soreness. What are you saying to that individual? Are you saying, don't worry about it. Next week, it's all going to be good. Are you saying, oh, we should do something about this. And then at the very end of all of these kind of case studies, we'll talk about like potential things you could do for delayed onset muscle soreness. But you know, what, what are you saying to this individual? So they've done their first workout. They wake up the next morning. They feel like they've been hit by a truck. They text you. They go, Gary, what the fuck did you do to me? What, what are you saying to this individual? Yes. Generally what I'll say to people is that, right, look, this is normal at the beginning. I'd expect you to be pretty sore. We'd like it to be better in about two to three days. Generally, the thing is, the person is probably going to have another workout that trains the same muscle groups later that week. Like that tends to be the way I set up my programs. So if someone did that workout on the Monday and they've got their work, their next uh, upper body workout, let's say on a Thursday, then what I might say to them is, you know, if you're still really sore by Thursday, let's maybe keep that workout for Friday and maybe we'll just leave a couple of extra reps in the tank. Um, generally, I try to do that start of a program anyway, is leave a few more reps in the tank on week one expecting that someone's going to be a bit, a bit more sore um, so you're kind of you're just basically prophylactically saying like let's 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 make sure this doesn't come about let's make sure it's not a big problem and that can be difficult for people to get on board with because like you know yourself you get on a new program you're like bruh i'm gonna go in and i'm going to crush it especially because you may not have done the exercise for a while so you're like i want to see where my strength is at and you really want to you know push 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 things out but what I would say is like resist that urge because you're just going to be really, really sore after it. Um, so I would, I would generally explain that to that person and I'd ask them about it. I'd say, look, I know you were quite sore. Um, how was yesterday's workout? Did you, did you take anything close to failure? And if they did, then I'll explain why that might be the best idea and why we might want to hold off a little bit um, in the next training session. So that's typically what I'd be advising them and I'd be letting them know that, look, don't worry, in a week or two, this probably won't be happening anymore. And if it is, then we'll adjust the program accordingly. Um, so I try to do two things. One, I want to reduce the, the threat. So if someone is the type of person who's real worried about soreness, then I want them to know that, oh, this is okay. This is a normal part of the training process. That's really important in some cases. For example, the lower back is the, the main one where people will celebrate soreness in every other muscle group. But if it's their lower back, even if they've been training it, they get really worried. They worry that their lower back is sore. They worry that there's going to be a problem. So in that case, I'm always about trying to reinforce that this is normal. You've got lots of muscles around that area and you've trained them just like any other, any other group of muscles. And this isn't something that's harmful. On the other side of things, I also don't want someone to be celebrating it. You know, if some, I've had it happen many times where someone wakes up and they're like, 
oh Gary I couldn't even get out of bed this morning unreal workout man thank you and I'm like oh wait maybe not maybe we should change something um if you were that sore after it and sometimes that can just be the novelty for example if someone has never done sissy squats before and suddenly they do some sissy squats they may have done loads of leg extensions before and leg presses etc but if they, they add in that exercise that length and range challenge on the quads is quite novel particularly like the rectus femoris um and they're gonna they might find some soreness in that upper quad area so again it's about explaining it's about education um so yeah you want to not not celebrate it but also not make someone real fear, fearful of it either yeah i think that's really good advice because that's exactly what i do so i'm obviously going to think that um so yeah that's what i would try to do as well with the individual first of all when you're setting a program for someone you, you generally say okay we'll take it handy the first week maybe even the first two weeks you know if you know you're like oh well i know i can fucking bench press 100 kilos for eight reps it's like okay well let's just dial it back a little bit because first of all we want to have some area some room to progress you know like if your max is 100 kilos and you can do that for eight reps for three sets, we'll say like your max is just going to magically change the next week and increase, you know, especially if you've been training for a long time. So you have to ease into a program, a training block, give yourself some room to progress over the training block. But that also really applies for beginners because likely they're going to be somewhat uncoordinated. The first few workouts, maybe even the first six to eight weeks, they're not really going to be getting the most out of those exercises, you know? Um, so they, they may have to, you know, essentially learn those movement patterns. So there's no point trying to learn those movement patterns, inducing this unholy soreness and trying to train the rest of the week then, you know? So you're probably better off just going, okay, I'm going to take it whatever seven or eight out of 10 intensity here. I'm like, I know I could do whatever 50 kilos with this. I'm actually only going to do about 35, 40, maybe, you know? So you, you go under, you undershoot rather than overshoot with the, with your exercise, you know, load selection. Right. I think that's a great way. Again, like I, I try to do that with all my clients, tell them that, you know, you're probably going to be sore the first week. So take it a little bit handy. Same within the, uh, ebook the templates we have where it's like there's a few templates where it's like we actually have you know a, a two-week run-up where it's like really just make sure you're going lighter on these weeks you know so it's like you you are actually taking it handy intentionally because you know this training block is lasting eight weeks you know so it's like you don't want to have run out of room to improve after week two you know and you're like okay well, i'm gonna use the same weight for the entire time maybe even less because i'm building up fatigue throughout the whole training block you know um, so you have to take that into account, but yeah, I think being, you know, prophylactic and going, okay, we're going to take it handy the first few workouts. If you do feel sore and after that, we're not going to worry about it too much, especially the first week, you know, you're, you're probably going to be sore irregardless. Even if you do take it really handy, you're probably going to feel some soreness. Like, yes, we don't want to have crippling soreness, but there's not a huge amount you can do once you feel that soreness. Like there is a few things which we will touch on, but there's not a huge amount. It's not like I can cure it like that, you know, like you're probably going to feel sore. So rather than having crippling soreness, I'd rather just mild soreness. So being prophylactic makes sense. But then afterwards, if you are, like you said, have a few workouts planned throughout the week where you're like, oh, those same muscles are going to be worked. Maybe you even go a little bit lighter or less volume on those other days because you're like, okay, I'm still feeling sore. I'm still easing into this training process. 
you know so i think that those two things that applies if you are training yourself it's not just if you're you know a newbie lifter if you are doing a new training block where you're like oh you know i've been training for two to three years and i'm going to get going with these workouts i saw some program online or i bought one of your ebooks or whatever like using the first one to two weeks to really get into that training program into that training plan getting used to the amount of volume the exercises whatever like it, it makes a lot of sense whatever stage you are at in your lifting career All right do you have anything else to add to that newbie lifter no it's good All right so our next one then is the the person who has been training for a while we'll say two three years maybe even up to 10 years whatever but they bring in a new exercise maybe an exercise that gets them into a lengthened range that they haven't been in before or haven't trained that in a while whatever but it could just be a a new exercise in general so they feel sore after that what's 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 their plan of action is it exactly the same or is there some sort of way we can mitigate this or work through this what are your thoughts like for me it's pretty much the same. Like as in, I don't think I'd have very much different advice to that person, but I would just assume that they have a bit more context to layer that on top of. So I'd either assume that one, the person might be really happy with this. If it's a muscle group that maybe they hadn't trained before, they hadn't trained effectively before. And that would obviously depend on prior conversations. For example, if, if someone was, was saying, Oh, look, Gary, like the earlier example, Gary, I've been training my, my chest hasn't been developing. Um, any tips and I had given them tips and that then results in this soreness Then I might be like, Oh, cool. That, that's not too bad. We might see that as a positive thing. However, again, still recognize that soreness is not necessarily the goal. Um, but, but yeah, I, my, my advice otherwise probably wouldn't, wouldn't change that much. I'd want to know what their understanding of soreness was. Like for example, if they thought it was really bad, like maybe they had been listening to people like us and they had heard more people say that, soreness isn't necessarily the goal i'd explain to them that look you know this is probably going to dissipate and you'll you'll be absolutely fine but on the other side of things they may have come from a background in training where soreness was always celebrated and that was always the goal and there are many people like that so in that case i'd be you know educating in the opposite direction so the only difference in those cases are trying to get an idea of what someone's prior understanding was and what they might think that this uh, signifies yeah, 100%. I don't think there's much of a difference. Like, yeah, you may have to explain that, you know, it's a novel stimuli or novel stimulus even. Um, and you might be like, okay, cool. That's why. You might just explain why they got sore. And again, like you said, you might just kind of talk through their beliefs around that pain, around that soreness and go, okay, so it's not necessarily a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing. It just is a thing that happens in regard to training because you've introduced novel exercises you know, you've introduced exercises or challenges, load, whatever, in a range that you, you haven't been in before, right? So I think that that covers that person. Again, that, that goes all the way up to the advanced. So that, that's cool. Now, the next one, I have about three or four more. But anyway, the next one is you have the individual who has been training away. They understand the last two, you know, maybe they've been training for a while, whatever, and they understand yeah okay novel exercise potentially soreness inducing you know okay length and range challenge potentially you know soreness inducing they understand all that right they've been training away and 
they've noticed even with the same exercises, the same training program, the same whatever, that they are constantly sore after their workouts. You know, like they're always feeling doms after their workouts. Is that a bad thing? Like they're always sore. Maybe they're not 10 out of 10 sore, but they always feel the next day, we'll say more than a five out of 10 soreness. Like they're like, I have doms every time I work out. Is that a bad thing? Yeah. So like in this case, I'd want to know two more things. One, has the person been progressing? Because I find it hard to tell someone they should do something different if they've been literally just linearly progressing with more muscle, more strength month on month for years. I'd be like, well, I mean, I can't tell you that, that what you're doing is bad by any means. But generally, if someone has more than five out of 10 pain the day after every workout, it's probably a sign that there may be, their training could probably do with some work. Yeah, um, we'll, say, we'll say they're your average train, trainee and they're getting some PRs every now and again. You know, maybe they go up 1.25 or 2.5 kilos every two to three weeks you know so they're they're making slow but steady progress but they're noticing okay pain after or soreness even after every workout yeah so you're kind of average training i would i would look at their program and that's what i would want to know because if i see that the person is doing all right i'm doing 20 sets for quads all to failure in one workout then like there's there's enough evidence to, for me to be confident in saying that, yeah, you probably don't need to, to do that. Like there's a point of diminishing returns, um, particularly if someone's doing more than 10 to 15 sets for a given muscle group per workout. That's when my, my, my detector for potentially pushing a bit too hard starts to ring. So I would be thinking in that case that maybe we could actually pull back and you might actually, you know, get the same results or potentially better results because that's, that's what you're ultimately trying to assess because if you assume that there's some sort of curve of diminishing returns for, let's just leave it at training volume for the moment, let's say the number of sets that you do, and you know you get more better results up to a certain point, and then maybe it flattens out a bit, and then it starts to decrease, like you don't necessarily, you obviously don't want to be at the point where you're doing so much that you're declining, that you're losing performance. Like that's clearly a bad outcome. But even if it was the case that there's a flat line that goes on for, let's say, a five-set range, you'd actually rather be at the bottom of that than at the top of that because like what's the point of doing an extra five sets if the results are the same as doing five sets less, you know? So I think that's something you could assess in that case. And even if you're the type of person who's like, Oh, but I actually just like training more. And even if I do five sets more and I get the same results, I'm okay with that. You also have to then weigh up the soreness in that, in that, in that assessment, you have to say, all right, is the, is the, are the same results still worth it when you're actually somewhat like in- incapable of moving or training or exercising the next day because you're so sore and that's when you start to assess those things so they're the types of things that i would be i would be thinking about if it was the case that someone was just i don't know they were very sensitive for a reason that i don't know and their training volume seems to be low to moderate they're still always sore and they're making progress i mean there mightn't be much i could do in that case but i haven't seen that myself yeah, I, I would be very similar in terms of my approach. And like you obviously touched on a few things. Um, but the first thing I would look at is the overall training program, right? And I would go, okay, so you were progressing relatively well. You know, you're getting increases every now and again, slow and steady, nothing 
ground shattering. It's not like you're on this fucking dreamer bulk or, you know, you're a hyper responder to training or anything like that. It's like, okay, slow, steady progress. It's occurring. It's not nothing to write home about, but it's happening. And, you know, you're adding muscle over the years. Cool. We're in a good place, right? But you're overly sore all the time. Again, I would look at the training program and two things I would look at is first of all, exercise selection. Like if there's exercises that are just really, really challenging in, in that length and range and you're like those are the ones that i can feel them during the workout causing you know a lot of we'll say uh, feedback you know from that muscle and you're like okay yeah maybe those exercises are just really demanding exercises for your overall biomechanics those exercises are just always going to cause you to be sore afterwards you know maybe you are doing like even like a, a stiff leg deadlift like you're very lengthened and you're just like like this you just you're very lengthened in this range. You know, maybe you're just always going to be a little bit more sore as a result, you know, and you can play around with this yourself, take out one or two exercises that you think may be causing the issue. And if you then do the exact same training volume and you take those exercises out, swap them out for something else and you notice you're not sore anymore, you can take that to be the case, right? That it's just certain exercises leave you more beat up, you know, muscularly, not like neurologically or anything, you know? Cool, that happens. Again, depends on your your overall mechanics. Maybe you are going past, you know, we'll call it your active range of motion, and your your what you're saying is DOMS is actually, you know, some sort of like connective tissue pain. That could also be an issue. But again, we're assuming, you know, you're somewhat intermediate to advanced trainee, so you you know the difference between muscular pain and like we'll call it connective tissue slash joint pain, right? So we're we're assuming that's the case, right? The next thing then, like you touched on, your overall volume considerations, not just in terms of the workout, but also in terms of, of like, like as in the daily workout, but also in terms of the, the weekly volume, you know, the weekly workout. And then also, you know, the monthly, yearly workout structure, you know, like if you have been training away, I've never done any kind of deload work. You've never like taken a step back with training. You always start your training block as high or as hard an effort as you can possibly put in and you've essentially just accumulated all of this fatigue over weeks months years again that needs to be taken into consideration that's also something that we're going to discuss in a second a different case study um but that needs to be taken into consideration like gary said as well your your training day like if you are doing like 20 sets for a given muscle on a, a, a particular training day like that's probably more likely to cause soreness the next day versus someone who spreads those out across the week. Like if you're doing 10 sets of, like I said, quads, you know, on a Monday and you're doing 10 sets of quads on a Thursday, you know, I would argue that you're probably less likely to get that DOMS from the, the two exposures versus the one exposure. But there is obviously some inter-individual difference with that. And obviously you have to take into account what the training goal is, what the overall training setup is, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you could spread out your exposure to that training volume. Again, say you do four different exercises on a given day, get 20 sets out of that, you know, five exercise, five sets each. You know, maybe you do two exercises on the Monday, two exercises on the Thursday, because the overall magnitude of, you know, tension on the muscles, it's the same across the week as if you had done them on one day, but you're not digging in 
to your overall recovery capacity on a, a singular day you know you're spreading out across the week you know like that's that's a potential consideration <clears throat> so if you are doing just one day the old like bro split type thing where you're like yeah it's chest monday and that's all you do and you're doing like 10 exercises for chest all three sets and they're all to failure right then you know maybe spreading that out throughout the week is a better idea the next thing that i'd be looking at is like how close to failure are you working you know like if you are constantly at that 10 out of 10 or zero reps in reserve you know it's like okay like you're clearly pushing training like you should probably expect to be sore after that you know like that that's the goal you are trying to induce or i would presume that's what you're trying to induce you know like you're not trying to accumulate results over time accumulate you know fatigue over time and slowly but steadily get stronger slowly over time like you're trying balls to the wall you're like i'm, I'm gonna go for this right so i i would you're, you're gonna be more sore as a result of training closer to failure more often like there's just more total tension on the muscle more you know proximity to failure points on, on that muscle therefore more proximity to or more likelihood of muscle damage to be occurring you know so i'm like that's that's it's just it, that's the way it is you know so those are the two main things that i would look at is your overall exercise selection you know there could be exercises that just beat you up more there could also be your program design you could have too much volume or like too much volume on a given day you could potentially spread that out a little bit more and then i said two but there's actually three you know in your overall proximity to failure or how hard you are training you know uh, again that goes into like maybe you are doing some like intensity boosting techniques like you're doing drop sets and you know extended sets or fucking partner assisted eccentric overloaded whatever you know these these things are more likely to cause muscle damage you know you're either accumulating more volume or you know you're uh taxing muscles more than you would be able to especially with, like say like partner assisted or partner resisted eccentrics or whatever you want to call them <clears throat> you know you're in that eccentric range potentially getting into a lengthened range potentially inducing more muscle damage you know potentially causing more soreness so again your overall training program has to be taken into account and then again the big picture has to be taken into account <clears throat> if you have been training for 12 12 months straight not a single day's break and you always train as hard as possible you know fatigue is going to catch up with you sometime you know and it may be manifesting in increased soreness workout to workout right so there's that do you have anything else to add to that gary no i think it's all sound right now there is another consideration we didn't touch on which does actually apply to the last two but i'm going to put it into this case study itself because it's actually easy to then see how it applies to the other two right uh, or the other ones that we touched on so you have an individual they've been training away they've listened to all our advice so far they're not choosing or maybe they're doing exercises that are length and range challenging but they understand that if it's a novel stimulus and all that kind of stuff they're doing everything right right their training program set up quite well they're doing one of our templates they're on the group coaching or they're on one-to-one -one coaching cool they're they're sorted right they haven't been sore for a while. They've been training. They've been progressing nicely. Again, same thing again. They're, they're getting a few kilos here and there, maybe an extra rep here or there, progressing nicely. But they decide to go into a diet, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to lean down for summer. Bruh, I want to fucking get shredded. 
<clears throat> and they're six weeks into their diet now and they're noticing that they're getting progressively sore from their workouts you know like there's there's a little bit of soreness of the first week they notice it. it's not, nothing thing they're like okay maybe i just pushed myself a little bit harder you know maybe i got into a, an extra bit of range that i wasn't used to you know maybe i lost i know fucking two inches off my gut so my ordeals are now deeper something like that you know overall anthropometry biomechanics whatever the fuck you want to call it changed a little bit so they are getting into quote-unquote better ranges that's obviously a contributor right but they're noticing week on week that they are actually just slowly ticking up in the soreness. You know, it was a two out of 10, first of all. And then next week, it's kind of like, oh, it's a two and a half. Next week, it's kind of a three. It's like, it's, it's trending up as the deeper they get into the diet. What are we thinking, Gary? Yeah, so in this case, like, if we go back to our, our kind of description from earlier, where we said, look, basically, what is going on is that you're experiencing the result of some physiological disruption your muscle okay so muscle disruption okay the better your the better system you have to deal with that the less soreness you're probably going to have and what i mean by that is you know if you're sleeping well if you don't have other stressors going on if you've got enough energy in the system and of protein in the diet all of these things are coming together to basically put you in a better position to take that disrupted muscle disrupted system bring it back to baseline okay that's in the ideal scenario the further you get from that ideal scenario, the less likely you're going to be able to do that optimally. In this case, you might be dealing with a couple of different factors. One very obvious one is the fact that there's less overall energy in the system. Okay, so there's less energy um, in general that is stored. There's less energy prior to the workout that can be used to fuel it. And there's less energy after the workout that can be used for repair and regeneration or growth okay so you can see how all of those things might come together to produce a system that's less able to tolerate um the muscle disruption or physiological disruption that's there like additionally it may be the case that stress or sleep has changed some people do struggle to to sleep quite as well when they are in a diet so that could be coming in here it could also be the case that the stress of having to prepare food all the time and you know avoid certain social occasions that that comes together and 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 increases the likelihood that you might be just a little bit more sore and that's not to say that any of those factors are huge but it's just to give you an idea of what we might consider like holistically so to speak um but yeah that would be my main consideration here is that look you're trying to do the same task over and over you've probably been trying to progress because training programs tend to be somewhat progressive and the amount of the, the, the resources that you have right now just aren't sufficient for you to keep on pushing things on. So sometimes it can be the case that, oh, look, let's make our goal to, you know, just, just, just bring down training, total training volume, just a touch. Um, and, and one of the things that go, goes unseen or unnoticed sometimes is that the persons might be doing 10, 12, 15, 20,000 steps a day to try and keep their energy expenditure up. They weren't doing that before. They might also be doing additional cardio that they weren't doing before. All of these things are coming together to disrupt that physiology somewhat, even if it mightn't feel quite as difficult as your squats or your deadlifts or whatever. So you have to consider the big picture. And if you do need to, you can pull back training a touch or you might actually want to reduce cardio a touch like that. That's something I do see sometimes where someone might tr be trying to do these mad hit workouts six times a week you know, when they're dieting and then and their legs are always sore and it takes away from their performance. And that's a very clear example of where you're getting crosstalk between like 
di- di- different types of exercise or different things that are leading to that physiological disruption. So you got to think about everything that's coming in and playing together. Yeah. Like the way I look at it is like, again, going back to that example of like your workers, like, first of all, you can think of the energy you eat. That's what's paying those workers. Right. So if you don't have enough energy, they're not getting their money. So they strike, right. They're like, right, well, I'm, I'm not going to do the work you're asking me to do. So that's either in the workout itself. You're like, well, I'm fucking, I'm feeling pretty weak today. You know, that could be that case, or it could be manifest in the, the recovery side of things where it's like, yeah, we did the work for you, but you're not actually paying us. So I'm not as likely to want to do it again or as soon because you haven't paid me, you know? So that's the energy component, but also this happens a lot, especially if you are, dieting but not taking care of your overall like macronutrients especially protein right you know you're not actually providing the building blocks for what you're trying to do you know and like you can pay the workers all you want you can be like oh yeah my 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 calories are on point i'm only in like a, a 300 calorie deficit but if they don't have the components to build back up what you've broken down you know we'll still go with that kind of very simplistic analogy like if you were breaking down protein structures and you don't have enough protein structures through the diet to repair them where do you think you're going to get that from like obviously it's like okay we we need to repair these as best we can so we'll steal from peter to pay paul here so we'll take you know protein structures amino acids from other areas of the body we'll break down your calf muscles because who the fuck needs calves you know just so we can build up your biceps you know so you're basically always at a deficit of amino acids if you're not eating enough protein right so that is something you see in the the general population where they're like oh well i get about 80 grams of protein per day and they're like i don't know a fucking 80 kilo male who's really trying to build muscle and you're like this is you're not going to get the results that you want eating so little protein you're not paying or you're not giving the building blocks for what we want to do right so i think that's very simplistic you're either not paying the men or you're not giving them what they need to do the job right if your diet is not on point and again that can be very very likely in the general population but again like let's presume it is someone that you know they're they're going through coaching with us or they've read our articles on the diet or whatever you know so we know that they have good information with regards to the diet they're setting things up correctly it could be a case that their overall recovery ability is just not where it needs to be because they've been training for so long or they've been dieting for a long time that you know potentially other things that are, contribute to recovery are being impacted like their stress is going up or their sleep is going down, they're getting less sleep, uh, or they've just like accumulated a load of fatigue from both the diet and from training so that they're, they're kind of just at a lower recoverability status, or re- lower recovery status, you know? Like they're never actually getting back up to 10 out of 10 recovery. You know, their best that they see is like a five out of 10 recovery. So that might manifest itself in always feeling sore or drained after your workouts, you know? And so that, that obviously has to be taken into account. Like, are you providing enough nutrients for what you're trying to accomplish? But then also how does your overall like stress bucket look, you know, like, are you taking care of all these other things? Would, you know, maybe doing like a a diet break or something for like two weeks, get you back into a good position where you can continue pushing with training and you can continue progressing with training and 
not have to feel this, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness all the time, you know? So that obviously has to be taken into account. Do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? No, that sounds good. Right. So we have one more example, and then we're going to get into a few things where, you know, we can talk about like, how can you potentially deal with, you know, muscle soreness, right? So the, the next one is the individual, they're training away. They're just some general population person that just, you know, wants to look better, wants to feel better, healthy, whatever, right? So their program is well set up. They bought one of our eBooks. They're just training away themselves. Cool. They're, they're all set, right? But and they've been making great progress. So I'll have you know, like they're, they're looking jacked, you know, um, but you know, it's coming up to Christmas and stress is higher. You know, their, their boss is like, Oh, we have all these orders to do. We have whatever X, Y, and Z to do. It needs to be done before Christmas, uh, before we all go on holiday for Christmas, whatever. So there's a lot more life stress occurring again, any time of the year, this could occur, whatever. All we know is that, general day-to-day life stress is higher than it normally is you know so we'll say their normal life stress is a two out of ten you know their general oh you know work is shit you know their family life got stuff going on you know all of that kind of stuff there's there is their their day-to-day life stress their their normal baseline you know and now they're at a period of time maybe exams they're a college student maybe you know they're leaving search whatever Something is occurring so that their their overall life stress has gone from that two out of ten, just general background life stress, and it's up at a, a ten out of ten. And now they're noticing that while they are slowly progressing their workouts, they're definitely sorer after their workouts. They're definitely feeling more fatigue, pain, you know, whatever after their workouts. What are you saying to that individual? What are your thoughts? around that in terms of their overall stress load has increased and now they're they're feeling more you know delayed onset muscle soreness yeah so this is what actually what while you discuss that i'm gonna go pee because i really need to be i'm going after them that's perfectly fine gary right so like this is one of those places where an auto-regulatory tool like RPE, so rate of perceived exertion, or RIR, reps and reserve, can come in really helpful because most of the time when people are going through a high stress period or maybe they're sleeping a bit less or for whatever reason, their life conditions are leading to them feeling like their performance isn't as, as good as it possibly could be, they stay attached to personal bests that they might have hit in the past. And this can get you into trouble. So for example, if you were hitting, I don't know, 100 kilos for five reps on the bench press at your, in your best training sessions, and now you're like, oh no, I don't want to drop below 100 kilos for my sets of five because I feel like I got here and I earned it and I want to stay here and I identify with that number. Like that can get you into trouble when you do go through these periods with where life conditions are, are inhibiting performance on a program that just says do sets of five and there's no guidance as to how challenging those sets should be or how close they should be to failure um then you can just go in and hit your five rep max for multiple sets and it's like you might get 100 kilos the first week but then you're like oh 97 oh 95 because you're constantly just pushing yourself to do as much as you could possibly do accumulating a lot of fatigue and you're testing strength rather than truly training for it. Um, so in that case, 
I might expect someone to have more soreness and more fatigue than they normally would because they're, they're constantly taking weights that should be a little bit easier, um, but they're, they're really pushing the failure now because their performance has made it so that their rep performance at that weight is lower than they would like it to be. So in this case, using something like RPE or reps in reserve, for example, very simple guidance could be, okay, I want you to leave two reps in reserve on your set. In that case, then someone gets more comfortable with the idea that I'm trying to impose a certain training stress as opposed to trying to hit a personal best every workout. If you're trying to hit a personal best every workout and you're getting attached to your numbers and you're not listening to your body, so to speak, when performance is declining, then it's very easy to run into these points where you have higher levels of fatigue, higher levels of pain. So in this case, using something like RPE or reps and reserve is a really good starting point to try to modify the amount of effort you're putting in per set. Additionally, modifying the overall set structure can be helpful in the, at these points too. Um, for example, I have a couple of clients who are in college um, and they've got exams coming up. And for me, like, I don't see the point in trying to put the hardest program on them at this point in time. I'd rather they took two weeks with slightly lower sets, spending a little bit less time in the gym, which is less of a physical stressor from the perspective of training, but it's also less of a stressor because they have more time to allocate to their studies and they don't have to be spending as much time in the gym. So that's the, the second consideration. I'd use something like RP or reps and reserve. And I'd also maybe consider changing the overall structure of the program if I think that's what needs to be done with uh, the time. With academic stress is, is, is a kind of a unique example in, in some sense. It's, it's relatable to some other jobs as well, but it's, it's, less difficult, it's less easy to do that if you've, got, um, if you've got a job that's chronically stressful. Like if you know that the next six months of training are going to be really difficult um, or the next six months at work are going to be really difficult and really stressful, then you don't want to just say, oh, grand, I'm just going to not train because I'm kind of scared that, you know, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Instead, you'd use your RP, you'd use your reps and reserve, and you try to keep your program, like, humble. You know, you want, you, you know you want to be somewhat progressive, but you're not going to do your hardest program you've ever done if life stress is also the highest it's ever been, you know. So a bit of common sense goes a long way um, in that context. You can go pee now, Gary. I will have <laughs> Um, yeah, like I was saying there, it basically comes down to managing your overall stress load. And if there is a, a stress, a stressor that you effectively can't change, you know, you, you, unless you quit your job or, you know, you give up your family or whatever, uh, you have a stressor that's like, okay, well, this is very stressful at the, the time and you have only a certain amount of stress recoverability, you know you can then think okay my program is we'll, we'll say it's contributing to two units of stress and you only have 10 units of stress to recover from you know and normally that's that's cool you, you just have like okay it's 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 physical stressor you know i feel good after it but you know i have to don't also account for you know i have to get to the gym i have to clean my clothes i have to do all that kind of stuff so there are stressors around that stress involved with that. And you notice now that you're like, I only have 10 units of stress to recover from. I can only recover from that. And four of those or two of those are taken up with training. Four of those are taken up with, you know, general family life stress, whatever general stress. And normally, you know, work only takes up two other units. So 
you're at whatever eight out of ten so you're always able to recover normally but then all of a sudden work goes up to requiring eight units of you know recovery you know and you're like okay i just i can't recover from that while also having these other things to recover from so that could then manifest in like you obviously can't change your your family life to any huge degree you can't just be like here wife girlfriend mother father brother friends whatever i'm actually just not going to be a human for the next while don't talk to me don't look at me i'm just out. i don't exist anymore like obviously you can't do that right so that's that's whatever amount of stress that it is and obviously you can change things if if needs be so that it's not contributing as much to your overall stress but you know the big elephant in the room is we have this eight out of eight out of ten units of stress going towards work and you know you have two units of stress from uh training and stuff so you're like okay well how do i change my training program to accommodate make it less stressful you know and that can manifest itself in doing less overall intensity in the gym like if you know you're you're normally closer to failure you know then maybe don't go that close to failure or maybe you're used to lifting really heavy weights and it's like this is really demanding neurologically for your recovery or whatever you know maybe you don't do that for a while you know basically you train change your overall training structure to be less stressful and again that can be less weight on the bar you're like okay well this this few weeks i'm actually just going to go a little bit easier like i was talking about there like a an auto regulatory or you know reps in reserve type deal where you're like okay normally i go 10 out of 10 there's literally zero left in the tank maybe you're like okay i'm actually going to bring it down a little bit you know so that i have more reps left in the tank it's not as fatiguing and again that could be from the rep perspective you can also then maybe know okay well normally i do like three to five sets of this exercise maybe you go okay from now on i'm only doing two three sets of this exercise so your overall stress load of a given workout is reduced but then also what i find like i touched on there probably the most effective thing is lowering the amount of days you train right because people who train generally fall in love to whatever degree with training and they're like yeah i want to go five days i want to go six days you know and they're effectively always spending two hours of their day training or doing training adjacent adjacent things you know they're either traveling to and from the gym or training itself or showering after the gym or whatever it basically takes out two hours out of their day all the time right so if you're like normally i train six days and we bring that down to three days in the gym. Yeah, you may not be as happy because you love, you absolutely love training, but you're now able to open up six or more hours of your week to do the other things that you need to do with regard to work. So now work is less stressful because you're able to spend more time on it. You're able to get more done and or college or whatever. <clears throat> so you, you can do that two ways. Again, like you can reduce your overall training program stress or you can reduce the number of days that you train. And I find that reducing the number of days that you train is probably the, the better option more often than not, you know, rather than just going, okay, I'm going to change my entire training structure or methodologies or philosophy or whatever. You can be like, okay, rather than doing that, I, I know I like training that way, or I know I get results training that way, reduce the overall exposure to training, but still train hard on the days that, you do train, you know, because you're able to recover more because you're, you're training less. And also you're able to have less stress from the other stressor because 
you're able to put more time towards it. So your overall stress load goes down because you've magically recovered whatever, six to eight hours in the week, you know? And you're probably able to get just as good results training three days as you are with six days anyway, as a general, whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that's my go-to with most individuals that have stressful times, stressful periods in their life. Like the amount of people that I've started training on four or five day programs and they're now down to like three or four day programs like they've reduced it because they first of all know how to train hard like they're better able to do that but also life has gotten into in the way like they have whatever family work college whatever and we just reduce the amount of training days and they're still getting the exact same results but they're actually able to deal with overall life stress much better now so there's that. So can you think of any other case studies before we have one last topic to discuss? Yeah, no, I think that covers most of people's concerns, I think. All right. Cool. All right, so the final thing is then, is there anything we can do about DOMS in terms of, like, is there any modalities, right? So you come from a physiotherapy background, Gary. So you've probably been exposed to all kinds of quackery, I mean, uh, uh, methods. <laughs> Uh, methods to to deal with this stuff now obviously some of them are valid some of them are more valid than others but if I'm gonna lay out a few different modalities and then we'll kind of talk through them right so any kind of what you want to call it manual therapy in terms of massage um, or foam rolling even uh, is that doing anything for DOMS is that helping in any way? Yeah. So like, like generally, if someone does go and get a massage, they're probably going to feel a bit better after it. Okay. I say that in a very general sense because most of the specific mechanisms that are proposed are pretty bogus, dude. Um, so I just like, it, it, you will feel better after it. But the problem is, do you want to spend 50 euro to feel better if there's no actual, like there's, there's no actual adaptation that you're getting out of it you know you, you just might you might feel a bit better like i would rather have like a friend a girlfriend a family member do that for you instead you know do, do that bit of massage for you um and it's just like you you kind of pay for something that is perceived to be highly technical whereas it often ends up just not being that technical and you know someone else could have given you that massage and you probably would have felt the same afterwards um so yeah i'm not i'm not a big I'm not a big, I like, as we always say, I'll tell you what I do. And then that kind of tells you what I, what I think more than anything else. You know, I don't foam roll if I get muscle soreness, I don't get a massage if I have muscle soreness. The only thing I would do is just stay active pretty much. Like, because the, the main thing you see is, is prophylaxis. Like that's what you want here is like, I don't want to get into the position where I'm crippled anyway. So I'll do all the things that we said in this podcast. So if you're the person that is, didn't listen to anything in this podcast and you're really sore and now you're just here for the solutions like i think that's a bit short-sighted it would be way better to look at all the other things however if you are in a position where you get really sore for whatever reason and you want to do something about it like yeah if you want to get down on a foam roller and see if you feel better you can do that but it's a horrible experience if you've ever had quad doms and you try and foam roll that or, or someone massages it like, I don't know if that's just me, but I hate that. Like, I don't want anyone d touching my muscles when they're sore. Like, just <laughs> leave me alone. I'll be fine tomorrow. Um, 
But but if you do want to do something that's a bit more practical, it's like stay active. Do a doing a really light workout can actually help sometimes. I think that's that's something that could be potentially beneficial. Is just like if your chest is really sore and you're going to the gym anyway to do a little bit of lower body, a few sets of five kilo dumbbell presses, pause in that length of position, get used to it, can make you feel a bit better and make you make you loosen out a bit. So there's at least something quote unquote functional to that because you know, you're still getting a little bit of training in, you're still moving, there's something to it. Um, and it's free instead of, you know, paying for a massage. So that'd be my opinion. Yeah, that kind of goes on to the next thing I was going to touch on, like anything that increases blood flow to the area. Like, is this doing anything? Because the way I think of it, I'm like, yeah, it's going to help. You know, it's not going to cure your DOMS, but it may make you feel a little bit looser, a little bit more open, especially if you are finding that you are a little bit restricted through whatever muscle it is that has DOMS in your chest, your quads, whatever, you're kind of feeling a little bit crippled. You know, if you do go for even like uh, a gentle walk where you're just getting blood moving around the body, like even though we said earlier on, it's not a main factor, but you know, clearing any kind of metabolites that might be left over in the muscle, you know, potentially beneficial, you know, you know, to what degree that that'll, you know, cure your DOMS, probably minuscule uh, contribution, but it is a, a thing. But also then getting blood flow to those muscles increases nutrients to those muscles because, you know, that's how nutrients get to those muscles. It's blood, you know. And um, now again, they're going to get there anyway because, you know, your blood pumps around your whole body. But, you know, we'll say there is some sort of, prioritization you get more blood into the muscle that you just trained you know it's like okay we're getting something here you know and this would also work with something like because again we're just talking about blood flow here this would also then work or explain even something like heat heat therapy you know where you're warming a certain muscle you know you're like okay you know i'm gonna get a heat pad or a hot water bottle or whatever and put it on my muscles that are sore some people are like that actually really helps with my doms you know same with you know some like cold therapy where you jump in an ice bath or something like that you get some like <clears throat> constriction of the the blood vessels blood vessels but then when you get out they open up so you know blood flow then gets to those muscles maybe preferentially you know um, so those kind of things, I personally don't do much of those, <laughs> um, but I also do exercise quite frequently because I do I resistance train and I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I'm training at least eight times a week. So maybe I'm not doing them because I'm doing them anyway. You know, I also then get my, my daily steps in, you know, 10,000 steps per day. So that obviously contributes. Um, but if someone was coming to me and they were like, Oh, I'm really sore, always really sore. And we've done a checklist of everything. And they're like, Oh, I have a, I'm a power lifter. I have a competition coming up. Is there anything that I can do to, you know, maybe continue the training program that I have and increase recovery? I'd be like, maybe we could do some sort of like blood flow stuff, getting some light work done on those muscles on other days doing a little bit of cardiovascular work, maybe, maybe bringing in some sort of heat therapy, you know, cold or hot that might work. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Like I really, I really like the idea of just of having some light training in there. Like for example, if it's the case that Mondays you're really hard 
bench press workout and Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you normally do a mainly lower body focus workout, then doing some really light, like bench with the bar, you know, some technique work, something like that, that can be actually really helpful. And there's even some evidence to support that potentially improving adaptations. Like you're just adding in another really light bit of volume, but I mean, you could just look at it in terms of like, this is just technique work. That's all I'm doing. Just adding it into my warm up, And I mean, like that's something that I, I view as being beneficial because I'm like, all right, it's, it's free. So we don't have to consider costs in our analysis. Um, it's potentially beneficial for your performance and your technique. So whether or not it changes your soreness, we already have some benefits on our side. So if it also makes you feel a little bit looser, a little bit freer, less pain, I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big win. So anything like that, um, being active, as you said, um, anything like that, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, if, if, if heat helps you out, like you're, more than more than welcome to try it um but again like it is about saying to yourself how can i prevent this from happening in the first place you know if for whatever reason you start a new program and you're like oh god my quads are in absolute agony and you know that heat generally feels nice for you like yeah heat up a towel or whatever you need to do and 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 see if it makes you feel better there's there's little downside to that and again there's little cost involved so when it comes to that sort of those sort of things i'm like yeah you know go ahead that's cool. Now, there's not much else that I think would potentially be beneficial. Um, I don't think any supplements that are targeted towards this are particularly effective. Um, I don't think any creams or anything like that that people are like, oh, CBD cream really helps with this. I, I just don't see the research. I don't see a mechanism of action that is viable. Maybe there is. You know, Maybe I just haven't researched it. But all the stuff I know about like the endocannabinoid system I'm like mm, like this is probably more so a placebo effect than anything like it definitely potentially has the benefit the benefit of making you feel a little bit better so that might help um <clears throat> but other than that I don't see a huge amount of research on that maybe you've seen something I haven't Gary but I don't see uh, a huge benefit from any of the supplements on the market however <clears throat> on this I should note that certain things are inherently going to be beneficial but be bad in the long term and what i mean by this is you could take some sort of like NSAID, like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory you know and that might cure your doms like you might not feel the doms anymore but unfortunately the pathway by which that works is potentially negating the effect of training so you're not actually getting the adaptations from training that you want you know and this again has the potential where we said like ice baths and stuff like that like doing those too close to a training session like directly after a training session or taking in a, a huge amount of antioxidants in like a pill form or whatever directly after a training session potentially has the effect of reducing the adaptation you get from that training exposure now again to what magnitude it depends depends on like what type of training you're doing your overall recovery status etc like i don't think taking like an NSAID a, a day after training is going to negate the entire training block you know but yeah. you, you do have to put into context if you're taking like NSAIDs every single day you're taking aspirin whatever every single day that has the potential to reduce your training adaptations over time especially if it is chronic you know so you might find things that there's literature on that's like oh this actually does help with delayed onset muscle soreness but you have to look at it in the bigger context of 
okay, it's, it's helping with that, but what's it doing to the actual adaptations we're getting from training? Yeah. You also probably just don't want to take NSAIDs every day in general. Like, I mean, it's great. Or, or <laughs> go straight to opioids, obviously. Like, you serious? Genius. That, that was actually some that, fentanyl. that was what I meant to mention is like, forget it all. 20 sets per day per muscle group, then take opioids after easy work, right? It's grand. Yeah. Not serious for, serious for anyone that is not aware. Don't, don't go and take a lot of opioids. That would probably not be a great idea. Um, but yeah, like you, you don't want to just like start medicating so that you can train. Like even if it is just like paracetamol or NSAIDs that people are just like, oh, I can just get these over the counter. It's not a big deal. Like it's just not the way you want to live your life. Like I train and then I medicate. Like some powerlifters do that. And I think it's a bit of a toxic cycle to get into. Like some people just take, they casually take pain medication before every workout so that they can get through their squats because their knees are so sore and it's like like maybe there's something in your training you could maybe address here like rather than just medicating all the time yeah it's the uh, same with people that do like they they train really hard and they're like oh i can't get to sleep as a result so i like smoke a load of fucking weed and it's like <laughs> this, this is probably not a great habit to get into from any perspective like i i don't think there's a huge detriment once you're over 25 from like smoking marijuana or whatever um but if it's a, we'll call it a toxic relationship where you need something to achieve a normal state, which is, you know, sleep. And then there's a problem going on in my eyes, at least, you know, like if someone said that, Oh, I need to, you know, do 12 shots before or to get to sleep. You'd be like, that's pretty fucked up, you know, but people are like, Oh yeah. Like I smoke two splits before I go to bed. Like it's fine. It's no big deal. It's like, you know, there's, there's probably an issue here, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't think medicating when you don't need to is a good idea in general, but you know, I am very puritanical in my fucking beliefs, my personal beliefs. So maybe I'm not the best one to go to for this. But you're also quite libertarian in that, like if people want to do it, as long as it doesn't harm you. Uh, No, I don't, I don't even care if it harms me as long as I don't have to pay for it. Then we're fine. (laughs) um so yeah the the key message being um don't do drugs kids uh moderate your training and yeah like if you want if you want to pay and go and get a massage like you're more than welcome but unless you're like at the olympics and they're handing them out for free like i probably wouldn't be spending the money on it but th- that's my bias like i just not a big fan that's fair right i have nothing else to add gary where can people find us and how can they engage with the services we offer us on all major social media platforms um but i would encourage you to most engage with uh the facebook the triage method community that's our group we do have a facebook page it's called triage method so you know you can follow that if you want but to be honest if you are keeping up with the facebook group you're going to basically get all the information you need you'll know what we're posting you'll know what we're sharing um and you'll receive you know basically if anything's going on you'll know about it same story for the newsletter subscribe to the newsletter that goes out every Sunday and that's exactly where you can find out right what are the guys shared on Facebook this week I, I don't go on Facebook so I don't want to I don't want to be engaging with that then yeah just sign up for the newsletter you'll get one email from us per week and that just lets you know you know what have we been posting what podcast came out this week um, what have we been reading you know for example different podcast different podcasts that we listen to um, different videos different books different articles things that are going to be of interest and I mean 
that's a couple of hours of informative content that you can get there, even if you don't like us. So if you don't like us, you hate the podcast, you hate our writing, there's other recommendations in there from others too. Um, and of course, you can check out the services at triagemethod.com. Uh, you can go to check out our online coaching. You can read all of our client testimonials there, or at least some of them. Um, and that's the one-to-one service. So we do have spaces available for one-to-one coaching. The group coaching, you can also find out about on site. That's There's male and female options there. So you join a Facebook group that is specific um, to your gender slash sex. Um, and then you receive a program that is specific to your gender slash sex slash sex. Um, and it can be modified thereafter if you, if, if needs be. And we also, you know, do technique video analysis and stuff for people. Um, and yeah, useful service. And of course, as you know, ebooks slash program templates available in the store as well. So do check those out. And I think that's everything that people need to know about. I think so too, Gary. Um, I have nothing else to say. So, uh, Goodbye. Peace. Enjoy your life. And we will see you again on Thursday. It is to you.